join the World Happiness Fest, the largest forum of happiness and well-being in the world. Visit us at www.worldhappiness.foundation. We are realizing a world with freedom, consciousness, and happiness for all. Welcome to the Heroes of Reality podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Welcome to a unique and special edition of the Heroes of Reality podcast in partnership with World Happiness Week. We are so happy to be here today. And on today's, I have a very special guest for today's episode focused around workplace happiness. Dr. Dave Eitman is approaching 30 years in obsessive with wellness and performance space. Fueled by a love of playing sports, Dr. Dave was the kid who dove deep into the science behind performance. This translated into a career focused on coaching mindsets, habits, routines, fitness, nutrition, epigenetics, functional medicine, and physiology. From pro athletes to high-performance CEOs, Dr. Dave has been there to help guide people through their tough spots. He's been a speaker, an author, a CEO, a researcher, a board member. Through all these vast experiences, he is now putting together all of this in the technology platform to help millions of people through digital health. And so without any delay, I'd like to welcome my friend, Dr. Dave. It's happy time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> welcome brother it's always it's always a happy time talking with you man yes a, yes for sure i'm so excited to chat with you dude when uh when we're putting together this thing with the world happiness fest and we're looking at the workplace i could think of no one better to talk to um and i'm so excited to talk to you about the workplace happiness because i know this is a big passion of yours yeah exactly thank you very much and and i'm definitely honored to be here and Spreading joy and happiness is what I've been about my whole life, literally before I even knew what that was all about. Even yeah. as a kid, I just wanted to see people smile and, and be happy. So uh, I'm super honored to be here and, and sharing and spreading the good message. Yeah, brother, for sure. And I mean, the reason why we want things to have you on is when you were first working and to start the genesis of this conversation, you weren't very happy at work. And that kind of led you into where you are today. And one of your big missions and focus is to actually create happiness at work. Can you talk to me a bit about your journey, how you started off and not being so happy at work? Oh, yeah, it's a crazy, crazy shift because I was the I was the person who was always happy. I was the person who was extremely active and played sports and did all of the passionate things that I wanted to do. And and that translated into a career where I owned my own business. And what I didn't know, what they didn't tell you, is all of the struggles and hardships that come with owning your own business. And I'd gotten to a point in my life where even though on the outside I was hitting all of these successful career markers, I had this huge sports medicine practice, I was flying around, I was working with Olympic athletes, I was working with the X Games, uh, pro teams, you know, you name it, I was doing everything that I thought that I had a passion for. The deep down was that I was so stressed out and so unhappy that I got to that point where it really just started with trying to like drink myself to sleep, watching Netflix, eating popcorn and ice cream. And I was trying to do all of the mind numbing things that when people are unhappy and they don't know where to turn, that I just fell into that trap and I had no idea that I was doing it. And so the doctor who became the student, essentially, and uh, when I had the awareness of, of, um, uh, really, it was a big epiphany. One day I was just driving and and I started veering off to the side of the road because I was so numb. I was so out of it. And I hit those rumble strips and I was like, whoa, what am I doing? I need help. I need to change the things that are around me. And that shot me into a whole new career, if you want to call it that, of unlearning everything I learned as a as a medical provider and learning what it means to find joy and happiness, what it means to follow your passions, what it truly means to establish habits and routines to always be in the positive spiral instead of a negative spiral. Mm, yeah. And that was one of the things that we, we've talked about before and touched on a little bit was there's this pattern of behavior where where it gets a lot, it gets really overwhelming in business. So whether you're running a company, you're in the company, you have you have pressure, right? Yep. And the way that we deal with the pressure 
is not the, the, the healthiest way possible. It, it leads to a lot of sedation. It leads to a lot of repression. It leads to a lot of numbifications. And you can't really selectively numb. You can't really just say, oh, I'm just going to drink away this one problem, but everything else I'm going to feel alive <laughs> and well. And yep. you talked about this this pattern of the, the dark side of flow. Um, and could you kind of expand a little bit upon that, about how you found that and kind of how you help people with that pattern? Yeah, of course. It's it's one of those things where I personally didn't realize it. I had no concept of it when it was happening to me. Uh, even though I was coaching athletes, I was coaching executives and, and doing the whole sports medicine from nuts to bolts, I didn't really have the experience to know pattern recognition at that point. And so I fell trapped to it just like everyone else is uh, or, or, or has. And for me now, when I look back at it, there's some really interesting things that we can talk about of positive spirals versus negative spirals. What are these small, simple habits that people are doing or not doing that create these spirals in, into the opposite direction? And one of them is simply, you know, if, if you're not feeling fulfilled at work, if you're not feeling heard, if you're not feeling listened to, what will tend to start to happen is frustration will set in anger will set in. So if you find yourself angry, that's typically a sign that something is not moving in the right direction in your life. If you go home and it's, you know, I, um, uh, you throw stuff around, right? You get home and you're like, ah, whatever, right? It's one of those recognitions that, hey, there's a deeper thing going on here. It's not the thing that you were upset about. It's not someone being mean to you. It's not someone saying, oh, uh, you didn't do this right. It's literally like you need to back up and be like, okay, what is the whole scenario going on? And so those types of pattern recognitions are, are where people have to become aware and then they can start to change and dictate mm -hmm. where they actually want to go. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the, you can't change into who you want to be if you don't know where you're at, right? So if you're talking yep. about that pattern behavior is you don't understand like if someone cuts you off while you're driving, right? And then you curse at them, you yell at them, yep. you rage on them, you try to cut them off, you go back and forth. It goes, it may not have been that person, right? It may yep. not have been that situation. It's something deeper. There's something more going on. And so that should be a trigger to say, oh, what what's happening in me, right? So what are yep. these... You know, so you're talking about anger as being one of these triggers. You're talking about this it, it, it uncalled for rage or maybe uncalled for depression where something happens and then all of a sudden you yep. just break down in tears, right? You yep. know, and then and that first step to change transformation is that awareness piece. So, I mean, can we talk about a couple more of these triggers that 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 might not be common that people don't always uh, know of? Or yeah, aware of? It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful awareness piece where... Uh, when we're in that negative loop and we're going in the wrong direction, we actually become more primal in our brain. We become more emotional. The chemicals themselves start to congregate more into a reactionary brain instead of a forward thinking and a present brain. And so anger, uh, violence, depression, anxiety, the, the racing monkey brain, you know, every culture actually has a term for it, which is really cool. Every religion has a term for it. Uh, so when we start to have that self-awareness around, uh, this is what I used to be. And, and for some reason, things just are irritating me, annoying me, like little ticking sounds, or uh, you find yourself like looking across the table at someone who's eating and they're eating in that annoying way. Um, that, that could be a sign that you yourself are in a negative loop, that that little bit of trigger over here is triggering your primal brain to say, ah, enough, because it's so sensitized, it's so chemical-filled that we live in that primal reaction state. And the whole goal with flipping that and having that awareness is to get those chemicals out of the primal brain, start to relax and become present, and things are less annoying we can see vision, we can see future, we can do planning. So when I work with people and I work with teams and I work with executives, it's really figuring out where that state is for them right there and seeing, are they always busy? Are they always feeling like they can never have the never ending to do task list? Are they always living in the on fire to do task list? And if they are, we know that they're living in their primal brain because they're not seeing the future and they're not actually the, the classic equation of uh, would you rather put in an hour of time to set up systems or would you rather spend an hour of your time every week doing the same repetitive task, 
right? As a business owner or as an employee or as just a mom, let's say, you want to create systems and leverage. But if you're living in that primal brain, you'll never create that system and leverage. You'll just keep doing the same repetitive stuff. Mm. Yeah, so it sounds like it's a combination of not only recognizing that it's an issue, but then also having the, the tactics, but more so the mindset that allows you to create the space for the tactics. Right. Yep. So, you're, so you're looking at this pattern. OK, are they in this survival mindset? Are they in this monkey mindset, this ruminating mind? Are they constantly on fire? I think of it almost like a cup uh, being filled up with emotions. Right. Yeah. And then it just overflows. And so you're at the you're you're at right towards the top. And then just one one little thing on the top, just ah, and it all yep. comes rolling out. And so what, what I'm thinking about it is you kind of find ways to find healthy ways to put holes in that cup so you can kind of drain out those emotions and you can kind of create more more space to where if you're completely calm and i mean we've been right. there right where you're, where you're calm and you're peaceful and you're enjoying things and then someone's like rude to you and you're like it doesn't come at you like you don't respond with anger you respond with like wow yeah that was interesting like, yep. i can't believe that just happened to me so you you, you it, take it that not all the ways to to drain the emotional cup is the same for each person. Is there right. ways that you go about helping people figure out, you know, how they can actually create that space? Yeah, this is it's funny that you asked that question, because that's literally the problem that we're solving with artificial intelligence in my company, because it's mm -hmm. so important. It's everyone is so unique and everyone is so different and they have a completely unique set of circumstances that pre-exist where they're going, what motivates them, what their social preferences are, all of those sorts of things. And so it really comes down to figuring out where you're at as an individual and testing and measuring. So in, in our space, we can use objective data with like fitness trackers, accountability journaling, different things that way to know, hey, when I look back at this month, did I do the things that I said I was going to do? And did they get accomplished the way that I wanted them to? And did the outcomes happen? Super simple. Not a lot of people do it, though. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's it's really like uh, we, we break it down into six main categories. There's sleep, fuel, movement, environment, nerves, and mindset. And of these six categories, you can think about them as they all have to work together to fill your bucket or empty your bucket, whichever you may be doing. So if you want to get better sleep, you can't just think about getting better sleep. You're going to have to have some mindset stuff. You're going to have to maybe heal some trauma or, or relax your nervous system and balance your nerves. You maybe have to change the environment that you're sleeping in and make sure that you're going into all dark rooms and get, you know put pieces of tape over your LED lights. You may have to move better. You may have to go for a 20-minute walk or a half-an-hour walk in the beginning of the day to make sure that your eyes are getting the sunlight, to make sure that you're getting your rhythm. Uh, so all of these things play a part together. And you could be missing any one of those things, and it could be one minor change that you do for yourself that changes the whole equation and, and mm -hmm. really allows that bucket to be a healthy bucket. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And you're right, because it's going to be it's going to be different for each person. And then if you can identify that, understand that and it's like diet and exercise, right? You yep. understand that it's like, oh, yeah, that's simple, but it doesn't mean it's always easy. Right. right? But simple and easy aren't the same thing. And then helping identify that. And I love when um deep tech meets deep human right yes. and so if you look at that the artificial intelligence plus understanding your core needs um serves up personalized recommendations and so this you do this for individuals but you also do this for companies and organizations right and there is there's reasons and methodology for the bottom line can you talk a little bit about that yeah there's definitely there's a huge roi in making humans human right and connecting yeah. with humans on a human yeah. level yeah. uh and it may not be immediate some of it is immediate some of it's not immediate and so we can look at employee retention for example we all know that there's high turnover rates there's the great recession going on there or uh the the uh great resignation not the recession <laughs> resignation <laughs> um yeah we're not li lining up in food uh, lines thankfully um but the, this is a real tangible cost to businesses. It's a yeah. real tangible cost to all of the countries, all of the workforces. There is an actual cost to hire someone, spend the time to train them. And then if they constantly leave, if you have a high turnover rate, you're literally spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on the size of your company. 
based off of if you can't connect with them and help them in a meaningful way. So this really translates through on every aspect of understanding the needs of a unique individual, understanding the unique, unique needs of a team, understanding the unique needs of a manager by helping them find themselves and their true purpose and, and their joy and their passion and what they're doing amplifying it, supporting it, providing empathy for those teams, those people, individuals, whatever case may be, you're going to have an immediate ROI end up happening. And then in the long run, what you end up doing is building an actual culture. And everyone talks about culture, but no one really achieves culture because they still are out for themselves and everyone's watching out for them and not the, the team. Or even if they're trying to watch out for the team, they just don't know how to get everyone on board with it. But really it comes down to, and this is why our company is called Authentic, is if you as yourself become authentic, there's two eyes in our name, oops, other side of the shirt, two eyes in our name, because once you become authentic, then that passion spreads to another person. And you can actually build community, you can build teams and you can build culture one person at a time. Mm -hmm. A lot of times in companies, it's the CEOs <laughs> that, yeah. that need it the most. <laughs> The last one that wants to change too. Yeah. Yep. yeah. If only everybody else would change. What's what's interesting about there, there's a couple of pieces and I want to unpack some things. I have, I have some things we want to dive into on this one. So one being um, for people that don't know, can you please ex explain the great resignation, what that is and why that's happening? Yeah, of course. This is a, a huge fun topic to talk about right now is, is there's never one straightforward answer. I'm, I'm a true believer that, uh, you know, just like I created the systems around health, there's all these factors that go into something that makes a, a dynamic experience in the, mm -hmm. the human, uh, the world that we experience. For me, the great resignation is this aspect of we're finally understanding that technology can solve a lot of our intermediary things that people are mindlessly doing in companies right now. And so we're fractioning out and creating a gig economy and a remote workforce all at the same time. The pandemic just shuttled and launched this. I had already seen this eight, six, seven years ago, right around that time frame when I started going virtual. Mm -hmm. And this amazing aspect that we can hop on here and we can do really cool creative things together. We don't have to be in the same physical office. People are just starting to realize this. We're starting to realize that we can control our own destinies. And if we're not happy, we can stand up for ourselves and say, I'm going to go do this. And now we literally can just proverbial hang our shingle on any of these internet sites and start to get paid for what we do and, and make about the same amount of money as if we were hiring or if we were to get hired. And so I think that there's this, this great shift that's going to happen where authentic workforces and workplaces are going to have to mold and adapt to remote work. They're going to have to mold and adapt to an empathy culture where you're going to create your tribe as a business of people who are really passionate about that one thing that you're doing. And then that's going to help communication. It's going to help joy. It's going to help passion. It's going to make all the happiness come through. Mm. And you're going to work together towards a common mission. And there's just going to be millions of these missions going on as opposed to big conglomerate companies that are only behind one mission. We're going to maybe have conglomerate companies that have 100 missions within that company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it sounds like like back in the day we had you know companies and manufacturing that just started to happen and cities were booming. And so you jump, you go into the corporations because that's where you could get paid more money. You could do, you can make money. But then right. when we realized there's like, there's like the, the 80s era, Gordon Gecko, uh, Gecko, greed is good kind of thing. And then we kind of moved in the thing where we saw our parents that weren't very happy, right? We see this and we seen that we're this. So we're trying to find one, we're trying for more, more purpose. Two, we're trying to find more autonomy, right? We want to feel more in control and we want to find alignment with people. We don't necessarily want the bosses to come down and yell at us and say, this is what we need to do, you know, do this, do that, whatever. Because like, why do I need to do that when I can just connect with people directly? And it's almost like cutting out the middleman and the company is the middleman where you can have more of an authentic connection with the yep. end customer, with your other team members, with the people around you. And you're kind of banding together, which is cool. It's kind of this this new type of kind of flat, more decentralized workforce connection thing. I, I, I actually am going to joke and take this a little bit further is that yeah. it's, not a, it's not a new concept. It's actually yeah. how we were genetically evolved. We were genetically evolved to be 
uh, constructed in social environments to work together. That's how we survived as a species. And it wasn't until the past 100 years that suddenly this corporate structure formed and the workplace became what we think of as the workplace. So I actually think that, you know, we, we were meant to co-create together when there, there used to be the tribal, tribal chiefs, the, the leaders, you know, whatever that civilization considered their, their thing. There was much more cohesiveness in working together, except for a few throughout history. Um, and so I think we're just getting back to that. We're getting back to the evolution of technology is replacing a lot of the things that we had to have a workforce for. And it's allowing the humans to be more human and connected yeah. at a social experience. And, and this is why I'm not afraid of AI. <laughs> we'll, we'll dive in that in a second. But what yeah. I like about that is <laughs> Sorry, that, I didn't mean to tear that open. <laughs> <laughs> no, you look at that. Tribal coalitions. It's interesting what you're talking about that. You're talking about, okay, instead of us going into a company, then the company is the face of it. You actually are now kind of, you're kind of making more transparency with the company. Say so the company is not a company. Right with a company brand, because because one of the things that we notice is we have this disconnect where there's this uh, lack of responsibility that happens where you you kind of the the company forms and then somehow the group of people you lose the soul, right? You lose the soul because a company forms and then it's not the it's not the will of the of the 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 employees. It's a, the company needs to drive profits. The company needs to do this right, and then you lose the actual essence, the humanity of the people that make up. The companies and so you're, you're talking about the, this flatter more transparent tribal coalition where people come together and it's not like you know it's not like a you know uh, a bunch of people working at amazon right it's, it's all these little micro communities micro cultures coalitions all saying oh we all believe in this one thing let's all work together to try to solve it yeah. and then push in that direction which is pretty cool um the, so disruption has always come from community just mm -hmm. disruption the best companies ever in the history of of you know, what we do has come from a group of people who were super passionate about something and creating a change. And then when they grew, they had to change. And this is a typical conundrum of why people get stuck at 300,000, a million, 10 million. There's these different levels, but at the true essence of disruption in the, the business sense, it's people coming together with the same purpose driving that together. And now in today's society, we have the technology where they can grow much bigger and keep that team really small and passionate, right? Mm -hmm. We can create this massive leverage and have a scale of millions of followers. And it might be three people working on the business. Yeah. yeah. yeah three dudes in a ham sandwich all working together. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. And you're right. And that's what you're talking about because you can have more impact because technology is just a magnification of person's intent and will. So yep. if you can have one influencer who's got millions of people and they have a small team of people working together to actually build the thing you can have so much more impact you know and you don't need to have you kind of get lost when there's so many people all waiting in on a thing yeah. um, but one thing i want to dive into on this one um before we touch the whole ai bucket um but going back to the whole uh ceos that don't want to change can you talk to me a little bit about what you see in terms of dysfunctional organizations from the CEO's perspective and kind of what needs to happen to that kind of help them uh, uh, expand who they are? Yeah, this is a fun, <clears throat> it's an interesting topic in that a lot of people have written about it. There's a lot of great books about it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a well-known concept, but yet when it comes to reality, no one implements and no one thinks about it and we all get stuck in our own way. Yeah. So as we grow our companies, we don't hire the coaches that actually have the sight and vision to notice that we're sticking at 1 million to get to that next level because it's a CEO thing, not a business strategy thing. And so this is where I've made my biggest mark in helping people realize that the roadblocks are the different transformations that you have to have of if you're pre 1 million, you're this startup company who doesn't really have product market fit. You don't really have enough leverage to create the teams that you need. And so you're running around like a mad person. You're the doer, you're the manager, you're the operator, and you're the visionary all at the same time. And what ends up happening a majority of the time is that the entrepreneurial cycle that makes you um, crazy enough to start your own business and do this makes you stay stuck in the busyness instead mm. of becoming the true visionary and learning how to offload everything and build systems. Mm. And so what ends up is this trap where uh, even if entrepreneurs do become successful and they hit anywhere from that million to 10 million range, a lot of them 
just get frustrated is they hit a sticking spot. They say, fuck it. I'm <laughs> they say, beep it. And I'm going to shut down the business. And uh, they're, they're, they start from, they start from scratch because they themselves don't know how to mold and change to get to that next level of business where they have to create nothing but vision and offload everything. And then also comes from healthy habits. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they get stuck into this adrenaline obsessive mindset and that doesn't work in a, in when you need to get into that form in that corporate structure. Yeah. And that's, and that's really interesting. Um, cause you're talking about at the different stages, a CEO needs to evolve who they are into someone who they didn't, who wouldn't have worked at a previous stage. Right. Yep. So it, if I come in at the very beginning and, I, and all I try to do is systemize everything without product market fit, without making a million dollars in, in, in rev to say, okay, I know my flow, you're going to try to scale something without knowing it even works. And so you build structures yep. and frameworks around things that don't even exist yet. But then as you scale, as you scale up, you got to not only go, you have a direct connection to the people you maybe needed now train the people, then then connect with the people. And then that ability to kind of adjust and transform who you are is something that can put pressure and whenever pressure is applied to humans or like any system, right, there's breaking points. And so some of these breaking points, people try to compensate with alcohol, with uh, late night social media, with um, uh, uh, taking it out on their spouses or some other things. Can you talk about some of these breaking points that you see that some of these CEOs go through as they try to transform who they are? Yeah. Well, and that's exactly how I got stuck. I, I, I got stuck in this aspect where, uh, I didn't know how to get to that next level, which is where I ended up becoming unhappy and unsatisfied because I didn't know how to, uh, I started growing multiple clinics, but it wasn't enough revenue and income generated to hand off to the different doctors. And so I had gotten caught in this trap personally, which is how I started becoming aware of this whole aspect and started researching it obsessively. Um, and, And it really is as simple as that is, the people who get your business going are not the right people post 1 million and especially post 10 million because the people who are are uh, under 1 million, the best people are the crazy people who take on all of the tasks. So you may have an operations type of person and they may be labeled operations, but they're helping with marketing, they're helping with finance, they're helping build spreadsheets, they're writing emails, they're, you know, they're doing all and they're running around like crazy and there's less planning less organization what needs to shift in that mindset at 1 million is is essentially okay now how can we create systems how can we hire executive assistants to do this maybe or how can we hire an operations assistant to do this and there's a real struggle that happens financially because you're not quite at that revenue where you can hire all of the tasks so you get some people who are crazy busy at doing everything and you got some people who come onto the team and they're like nope i'm only going to do this <laughs> and you get that balance and and the ceo and the leadership team needs to recognize who those people are individually and, and meet their needs this is where the empathy part comes in understanding someone who thrives in structure and understanding someone who thrives in chaos and they don't work well together when you're growing. You have to understand how to communicate with them and relate to them to keep them in their lanes and doing what they're doing and then eventually replace and, and shift and mold. And that's it was really interesting with that. You're looking at uh, I heard this uh, someone say this to me one time that your business is like a, a microcosm of your central nervous system for the CEO. Right. So yep. they have they have this central nervous system, basically wherever your, your business can only grow to the capabilities of the CEO or the person in charge, because there's going to be some sort of thing, some sort of way that they're going to they're going to self-sabotage themselves. They're going to they're going to find out. So they're going to find a way to keep themselves small, because even though that they say they want to be I don't know, a billion dollar company or whatever, insert thing, they can't do it because there's some sort of limiting belief or some sort of cognitive dissonance that causes them to shrink down into that can you speak to me a little bit about this this microcosm of a nervous system that is the business yeah well they they are you're exactly right they're one and the same is that the ceo is driving the nervous system of the business Mm -hmm. and most ceos don't control their own nervous system so they show up triggered 
they show up anxious, they show up, you know, they took a weekend seminar and they come back on Monday and they're like, I want this done by Wednesday. Go. Right. <laughs> and it completely destroys. They, they don't even have a thought process that someone had been working on something for three months. CEO randomly takes a weekend class and says, nope, that's all wrong. We're doing it this way. I want it done by Wednesday. Hmm. And so that is a nervous system aspect where that CEO is not present. They're not calm. They're not being a strategic leader. A strategic leader would, you know, you can still have your chaos of right. You know, this is what I recommend for CEOs. They they recommend or I uh, write down everything in their journal mm-hmm. so that they can reference it back on a quarterly planning. And this should be discussed as a leadership team. You know, as you start to grow, you have to calm your nervous system down and have delayed gratification. All entrepreneurs are wired to have immediate gratification and chase the adrenaline. And so you really have to work hard at pulling that back. You can't just come in and start barking at people, even though you think you may be saying nice words to them or, oh, supporting them. And we're going to do this now. It's going to be great. You're getting excited. We're going to put those big, you know, 10 exit goals on our company. And everyone else in the company is like, this person is crazy. There's no way they did like employees get triggered, right? Yeah, And so it's, it's really up to the leadership team to balance their nervous system so that they can breathe through their nose, they can be calm and present, they don't react to statements, they think about what they're going to say, they hold back a lot of times, the good CEOs hold back everything that they want to say internally, and they just write it down. <laughs> and so <laughs> that is balancing the nervous system so that the company can survive and grow at an exponential rate. Yeah. And one of the things with that is CEOs want to get a lot done and they say, and they, yep. there's a thing that happens where they try to throttle through things, which you're talking about, I want this done now, you don't get it done now. And then what they do is they, it's the same thing that they, the way that they treat their bodies. And I'm not speaking for all CEOs, but let's just talk about the ones where you're trying to overcompensate with something. So um, you're taking, you know, instead of getting a good night's rest or whatever, you're just, you're just slamming Red Bulls or you're just, you're running hard. And, and, the, and the same thing that you're doing to your body is the same thing that you're doing to the people that you work with, right? And yep. so when people come in, you run them to the ground, they burn out they drop off, then you got to hire someone new and you got to start that all over again. And so they're in a constant cycle where they're, they're burning, they're burning the, the, not only themselves down, they're also burning the people down around them because they're trying to force them through a process versus what you're talking about, that ability to delay one's gratification, the ability to slow down, the ability to, to take time to inspire people to pick up versus pushing people. And that's one of the things that I've noticed that I've made a mistake with is that trying to like, force people out the gate. I get excited. And then all of a sudden I just try to force everybody. And then I get in this victim <laughs> yep. mindset where I'm like, why won't everybody work as hard as I do? Right? <laughs> yep. right? Versus that, that taking that time to inspire people, right. And yep. drive them along. Can you talk to me about some of the hidden challenges that CEOs face when they're trying to get people to throttle as hard as they do. And so, like some of the ways that they can kind of the, the wrong way, or let's just say the damaging way and more of a holistic way to handle the situations. Yeah, this is an awareness piece that CEOs have to go through is that they have to uh, start to become aware of their language and the things that they say and that uh, what ends up happening, right? If they suddenly start to find themselves where they're constantly telling people what to do and no one's doing anything and they feel like they're not being heard, that is a massive sign that the CEO is stepping over their bounds. And it's a self-awareness piece that, that has to happen. Uh, honestly, like if we want to loop this back even into the beginning of the conversation of an ROI, that starts to happen. Mm-hmm. When you work with a team and, and you start to see and you really dive deep into the culture of productivity and getting stuff done versus not getting stuff done, it's I almost every single time I can just go right up to the CEO and look at them and then see what like the HR, you know, the managers, the uh, the, the leadership team, things like that. And I can see this dynamic of how they work back and forth. I, it doesn't take much to realize that it's usually the CEO who comes in and just uh, makes obscure demands, says random things on a huddle or a meeting. And, uh, you know, they, they try as hard as they can in the ROI section of keeping their employees, but the employees ultimately get burnt out. And mm-hmm. that's why the last stat that I saw, 89% of people have 
uh, considered themselves burnt out in those past two years where productivity and everything has just suffered massively because people are trying to do go, 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 hyper-managed, micromanaged, all of these sorts of things because the CEO and the leadership team wants to be there and do do this, do this, do this. And uh, so it's, it's really that awareness piece around this of if people aren't getting things done, start to ask yourself, well, what is our culture? Mm -hmm. If our culture isn't productive, what can we do around, uh, you know, uh, culture productivity and communication is really what it comes down to. And that's a, it's a great point. If you look at it and go, okay, if, if the CEO is making statements and the things aren't being communicated, is it because this entire team is terrible and they should all be fired? Is that the, is that the general thought? Yeah. Or, or is it that, that, that there's a power in owning the story? There's a power in saying, okay, there's a way to inspire my team to to get them excited about this and then to set up systems and structures to help them along the path and i think yep. a lot of people i've seen this happen a lot in companies where you hire someone you bring somebody on and they're excited to work there and then something happens culturally speaking and let's just say their enthusiasm they're moving at 100 miles an hour right and they're like i'm so excited but then uh the, the employee puts in a bunch of work and the boss makes a backhanded comment about how it wasn't done right they go from 100 miles to like 90 miles, right? And then someone else happens yep. where all the other team members show up late to a meeting and then you always show up on time. And then also you go, oh, well then I should show up late to the meeting. And it goes from 80 to 70, yes. right? And it yep. starts going down and down and down to where that, because the signposts, the rules on the, you know, the here's our values, look at our values on the wall are not nearly as powerful as the social standards that are unspoken but demonstrated on a daily basis, right? So, right. Yep. so ch changing those patterns of behavior, culturally speaking, right? When you're in that, when you're in that position, have you ever been able to do like a hard reset with the team? Have you ever been able to say, okay, I see where the culture's at. I see where everybody's at. Okay. We're going to try to do things differently. How have, have you been able to do that in any way, shape or form? There's, yeah, there's two extremes and I'd love to talk about this up from the other side too. Uh, yeah. So I'll, 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 beat up the CEO one more time and then yeah. we'll flip it on to the employee because yeah. I want, I want uh, employees to feel just as empowered here. It's, it's yeah. not just the CEO. It's, it's uh, both polarities. So from the CEO standpoint, I've seen flips. I've seen massive flips where it's like a, we're losing this business or I'm changing. Right. And the CEO makes that change and suddenly they let the leadership team in. They, they become calm and present. They step kind of back. Uh, forced vacations have been a big one for me of helping people understand to literally just get away from your company and let your leadership like repair what you've <laughs> destroyed. Uh, go on that one month vacation that you've always wanted. Um, so, but it, it, here's the other side of the, the story is that from an employee standpoint, you may not be able to control your destiny in your company, but you can control your destiny. And this is one of the things that I actually love about the Great Resignation is that when we have a lot of people standing up and saying, I know that I'm really good at my stuff, I can be in control of where I'm going and what I'm learning. And so within a company, even if you're not getting that pay raise, yeah. You can still go work in other departments, get exposure to it, try to get that title resignation, you know, that title uh, um, uh, performance up, mm. level up in every single way possible. Explore. Maybe this is your time to dabble into uh, something else that you were thinking you might be interested in and just help out with those parts in the company just because you have that opportunity. And if, if it's not long-term for the company that you're with, you are still in control of your destiny. You don't have to just sit there and take it. You can be strong and you can control this aspect that you can make a shift down the road. You can control your destiny of a different job. You can start your own job, uh, you start your own business. You can contract out, you can do all the things. So. It's both ends of the spectrum. The CEO and the employee can take control and yeah. change their nervous system, change their situation, and actually do something beneficial. 
That's beautiful. And you're talking about being able to shift your focus and your perspective, which ultimately shifts the stories you're telling yourself, right? Because we want autonomy, we want progression, we want mastery. I mean, these are some things that we all want. And so if you look in the business and go, okay, well, am, am I not getting, am I unhappy in the workplace uh, because my my boss isn't giving me recognition or is it because I'm not making progress? So, you know, what are the things yeah. that I can, what can I control? And then how do I own the story? And then how do I take action? I mean, could you imagine what it'd be like if uh, an employee went to a boss and said, look, I want to help you. I want to be more. I want to do more. I want to, I want to, I want to level up myself to level up this company. And here's some things I'd like to take on because I think I may not be good at yep. it to start, but I think, I think my enthusiasm and my excitement would add a lot of value. And then over time, I'm, I'd be able to add massive value to the situation. I mean, the ability to, to feel that support and then it happens both ways, but just shifting perspective from the employee standpoint of being unhappy and how they could take on a sense of trying to master something new could give them that sense of yep. fulfillment or purpose that they're not getting from another section of the business. Yep. Some, and, some of the great companies that I've seen, the leadership team offers like a, some sort of uh, repair scenario. In other words, person is not performing. Leadership is unhappy with them. They mm -hmm. sit down and they co-create what, that employee views as their repair of in order to stay working here, or I want a job promotion, or I want more money. The leadership team actually co-creates the experience with them and empowers them to say, oh, this is what I need to do to get to that next level. This is where your downfalls are. This is where your strengths are. Let's build and repair. And you come back in, you know, 30 days, 90 days, whatever, you know, I've seen different things. Um, but that co-creation is is really critical. Instead of someone telling, "Oh, I'm, uh, you know, the employee, ah, I'm just not getting paid more," well, co-create with your leadership team. And if they've never heard of that, just do it with them, <laughs> and vice versa. Leadership team, this is something that you can implement and and install into your programs, uh, your mm -hmm. operations to uh, to try to co-create with your employees because then it empowers them. They feel like they're contributing, and that's what we all want. We all want to have that human connective aspect oh yeah a hundred percent and i think that's brilliant and i completely agree with that it's one, one of my favorite things uh, that i like to do with uh some of my employees that i meet with on a regular basis on a, like a monthly basis i meet up i go okay we're here right the company is going here in this period of time frame where do you want to go in this period of time frame what are some things that you can take on that would excite you that would also be in alignment with the company so that we can all march together so that you're what you're doing is not only fulfilling your needs but also helping the company out at the same time and trying to figure out how do you how do you i mean it's it's almost coming from the perspective of having whether it's the ceo or or the manager above you being your coach not your boss Yep. Right. And, that, and that's a there's a really powerful statement in that. And so that that co-creation and have you seen ways to do that in terms of like triggers, like the trigger is the employee says, I'm not unhappy or I'm a happy or they're filling out a survey or, or what like that. Have you seen what what way would cause that the genesis of that conversation to kick things off? Yeah, it's it's uh, uh, <laughs> it's a varied answer, of course, but one of the high common things is actually disengagement. Most people, and even on social media, right? We know this, and most people are lookers. Most people don't don't actually actively do anything. So when an employee just starts disengaging, that should be a signal to the manager, like less communications, less responses to things, less showing up on time it's a lack of something that has to have the awareness. We all tend to, our brains are wired to pick out the things they're doing wrong when reality, we should be looking at what they're not doing and mm -hmm. having that type of, so that's the biggest one. The second one is, is just they're, they're dabbling in other stuff. They're, you know, poking their nose in, they're talking behind people's backs, they're spreading rumors, uh, that type of stuff. They're trying to sabotage without knowing sabotage is happening. Mm, that's a really good one too. And then if you look at it in terms of just trying to empower some, because a lot of times I think CEOs or companies, they want to be able, you know, everybody wants a happy culture. Everybody wants to have a happy workplace, but sometimes you don't even know how to do it. And there's all these people that are upset or whatever's going on or, and you just, you, you, you can smell it, 
but you don't know what the solution is, right? And so I love yep. that, they've looked at patterns. So if we walk through that a little bit, right? Let's just say you, you run a company, you're a CEO, or you're part of it, you're management, and, you, and you're, you're getting that sense, okay, these people are disengaged. You're like, all right, guys, we're gonna go to the moon, right? And, and everyone just goes, oh, all right. Right, yeah, cool. it, well, that's exactly it. You literally said it. I, I, I've had that experience where I've been on calls and the CEO goes and, and tries to pump up the, the team and the team's just kind of like the the golf clap, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, not very met with response, but typically the CEO or the leadership team who is doing this, uh, they're so excited about their, their thing that they have no recognition that mm -hmm. no one is responding um, so I've seen this in rewards and incentives where they try to give out rewards of, hey, if we hit this goal, uh, let's all fly in a private jet, right? Well, like your employees don't care about flying on a private jet. Yeah. High level visionary entrepreneurs care about flying on a private jet because it's a status symbol. Employees could care. They want to like more time with their family. They want, they want, you know, some video games and, and things of that nature. So really like understanding that culture of let's just say you have even a rewards program yeah. um where you get points towards something and then you can win products if there's not even that much engagement in that that's a great easy starting point of, of a recognition from a leadership standpoint like mm -hmm. hey we are not connected to our people you need to crowdsource that you need to like hey team what is it that you actually want here we want to we want to not only drive our mission we care about our revenue we care about you know being able to provide salaries for you guys because if we go out of business we we have to fire you all but more importantly what is it that's driving you what's passionate about you know your things what would you feel like as a reward system and most people forget to ask the other crowd yeah. it's as simple as that well and see that's a great pattern so if you looked at the behaviors there was if there's some CEO listening to this or something where it's like, it's okay, they can see the people being disengaged. Uh, you can pull away one team member, you, you can put them in a private space or a private Zoom if you're a remote worker, as a lot of people are. And you go, hey, um, I'm feeling a sense of disengagement. I've noticed when I've come in and I asked for these things to get done, I haven't felt a lot of energy from you. And I just want to know what's going on in your world. I want us to be aligned. I want us to be excited. I want us to, to be on the same page. And I just want to see what's, you know, what's going on for you. I want to I want to make this exciting. I want to make this empowering. I want to make this something that that you wake up out of bed. And I also want to make it rewarding for you. I understand that my rewards aren't your rewards. So I'd love to get really clear on, you know, what's what's going on in your world. Right. And then how can we get aligned so that we're both excited uh, to work together so that when we achieve our goals and we're on the mission, we can we can feel good. Would it be something like that? Or how would you how would you do it else? Yeah, I except I don't I don't direct it at a specific person because mm. most people would feel attacked. Right. Like if you, <laughs> if you told them, hey, you're you're disengaged, they're immediately like, oh, I just got a cancer <laughs> diagnosis and I'm yeah. going to be out of the company. Oh, right. So they're, they're brain. So, so the easiest thing to do is, is to bring awareness. So like if it was the CEO, then they would talk to their leadership team. The leadership team would then talk to their managers. The managers would then talk to their employees. And it would just say simply like, hey, we've noticed this about the culture around here. And we're trying to dig into why we were hoping that you had some suggestions on places to turn. Who can we talk to about this? Who do you think is leading, you know, like, there's always going to be a few people who are really outspoken about sabotaging the company. Yeah. And so the whole goal would be to be in a roundabout way, get the feelings and the sense of the whole community by crowdsourcing that information without directly telling someone it's them. Mm. Or even if you're suspecting it's them and maybe you don't know it's them, you're just crowdsourcing that information. That's awesome. And, and that's the thing because like looking at the patterns, right? Because sometimes you know and you don't know how to do it and, and it can be right. an annual, right? Or it can be a, a difficult situation or a difficult conversation. Um, but if you're kind of, you're, your whole thing is like, how can you approach them in a non-threatening manner to have yeah. the safety and security and be like, hey, we're, we're all in this together. I want us to work together. We're just trying to understand the situation. And we're just, a lot of things, instead of coming with accusations, coming with curiosity. Yeah. Right, that, yeah, that. curiosity is the best way to describe it. It's this actually reminds me of a great example. Oh, gosh, I heard it way back in the days about barefoot wine uh, mm -hmm. when they made their mark of uh, the wine companies. You know, they they all kind of had the same labels, 
and Barefoot Wine was trying to do something different. So it actually, the solution that they found from their marketing that differentiated them, that took their whole company off to a, a you know several hundred million dollars, I forgot how big they got, but it was simply the person who stacked the boxes in the warehouse said, man, it's really hard to figure out which box to pull because they all look the same. You should just create different labels, right? And it was because the CEO had gone into the warehouse and was asking everyone from a curiosity standpoint that, hey, what's going on? What are you dealing with? What are what can I help you with? Where do you see, you know, the biggest sticking points are? Mm-hmm. And, and you get those creative ideas because everyone has great ideas. They just don't get a chance to say them. And especially when a CEO comes around and and asks an open-ended question with curiosity, with no predetermined judgment, you get a lot of interesting statements like that. Yeah, that's really powerful. And then also there's the flip side of that. There's a flip side of that where all of a sudden the CEO has a couple of conversations or he goes to a weekend retreat and he comes down and goes, the new company direction is hard left, everybody. We're going this way, right? And then the team, the community, the the company goes, what are you talking about? So how, in terms of creating a happy culture and an aligned culture, one thing is, is the sourcing of the feedback, right? Is there a way to integrate these, these lessons when you have to do a big pivot or a big turn or something that's going to disrupt a community's flow, yeah. a, a company's flow? Will you have any suggestions around staying happy and also expanding into something new that might be uncomfortable? Yeah, this, this is so crazy that it's so blaring obvious but I think the last stat I saw is only like 12% of companies do strategic planning (laughs) It's where you literally, you could set up quarterly planning where in 90 day segments, especially if you're pre 1 million, only thinking about the next 90 days, you kind of have your year vision, but only thinking about 90 day chunks and sticking to it. So as soon as you start to grow at all and you bring on team members and you're no longer by yourself, the aspect of changing things in a weekly rotation is a five-figure thought process. You're never going to bust through five figures if you have that thought process. So you Mm -hmm. have to, once you start hitting six figures, seven figures especially, you have to have this 90-day thought process and then yearly thought process and when you start to get out into 100 million, then you have to have two year, three year, five year thought processes. Because what needs to happen is you, as a team, crowdsource and come together and say, this is what's best for the company. And everyone pitches in feeling like they're contributing to that 90 day plan. You can't change anything that 90 days. Otherwise, everyone gets pissed off. They feel like it's, their job is pointless. They feel like their contribution is pointless. And that CEO who came in and said, we're now doing this, discredited everyone in the organization and the work that they did. That is something, too. There's the power and the, the collaboration and the making of things. And one of the number one ways to upset everybody is someone to put in a ton of time and then you to take that yeah. and throw it away. Yep. It's a it's a great way uh, to upset people. I, don't, I you know if, if that's if that's what you're going for, then it, it definitely works. So I I see that a lot, and today's technology solutions uh-huh. are exponentially growing, right? And so mm-hmm. they'll put teams of people on to integrate into this new project management software, and it takes them two to three months to start to work through because they have different divisions they have to put on, and then mm-hmm. a leadership makes a decision that three months later, no, we should be going with this project management company. And all three months of that previous work by all those employees to switch over project management is now out the window. (laughs) It's so rough. What are some other things that uh, companies can do either in the areas of uh, causing happiness or causing a dishappiness? What are some other ones that you've seen in terms of building a a positive, authentic culture? Um, or disempowering that accidentally. Well, I, let's just stick with the positive on this because I'm mm-hmm. assuming we're we're running up on time. So let's let's leave yeah. this on a really positive note that yeah. you find your true authentic self and you be your authentic self, and that will spew into your company. So if you like dogs or cats and you like nature or something of that nature, you go do more of that and you share it with your company. Mm-hmm. 
that that is what you're doing. And then leadership and the other people need to do the same thing. You all have to be on the same page and you all have to encourage each other to go do the things that you want to do. And it becomes an uplifting supportive thing that when people go for a hike out in nature, everyone's actually clapping instead of golf clapping. Right. And so this is where happiness in the workplace truly comes from is, is everyone starting to become their true authentic self then everyone starts to recognize that and supports it. And it's a process. It's not easy. Um, But what ends up happening is is you actually start sharing more of the positive news instead of talking about all the bad stuff in the company. Because it's really easy to talk about the bad stuff in the company. So flip the conversation, post good stuff, get your Slack channel set up that the water cooler channel is all about positivity, right? Yeah, I mean, one, one of my favorite activities that we do is in our daily stamps that we have with the team and things that we go into, uh, we go through at the very end and we do uh, uh, gratefuls. Everyone goes around and mm-hmm. says, I'm grateful for this, right? And that's a, and sometimes, sometimes it's just random. I'm grateful for water. I'm grateful for, you know, that I have, you know, um, my health. Uh, but I've noticed when, when people tend to uh, chuck gratitude to other people around, and actually mean it, and actually mean it, you can feel this, your heart being pried open. Right. Where you step into the situation and which because there's like this vulnerability of like showing appreciation. And I don't know what that's about, uh, that when you start to get uh, vulnerable, it, it feels very scary to like, like legitimately show appreciation. Do you, do you have you ever experienced that at all? Well, it's proven proven through science that it is mm-hmm. the reward of random recognition is the highest thing that our brain seeks. So this is mm-hmm. why it's actually the same mechanism on why we gamble. It's literally the the act of random rewards, the random shout outs like, hey, Dylan, you did great today. Like on in a public forum, like in your huddle, your meeting, whatever it is, that is by far the biggest thing that our brain actually likes. And this is proven through science. This is proven through workplace science. It's like all of the things. And so, yeah, that the art of random rewards. I love that. What it makes me think about is the like if you play like little games, right? Everyone's got mini games that they play in their own heads and things like that. I imagine the game of, because I would, I like to sometimes catch my team members like with the, like, like the, that, that look like they just took a bite of the sandwich and they just got caught with, with a compliment though. You know, they're like, <laughs> yeah. huh? You're talking about me? <laughs> yep. I did this thing, right? And then, you, but, but you catch them like, like ah, I gotcha, right? And you're like, oh, yeah, you, know, you just praise them. That's a that's a really cool uh, concept. And it's a little uh, micro game that you could, you could do to, to make a lot of, uh, to to just spread that joy, to spread that happiness, which is really cool. I love that concept of the the random shout outs, that random prize seeking, yep. because that it's it's that gift. Um, is there anything else that comes to mind for you in terms of creating a good happiness and culture? I would say that that is literally the most simple approach. Is yeah. you you want to create that the act of surprise, the act of recognition, the act of support and empowerment. And if you, if you, you can, of course, micro get into a whole bunch of different stuff, but for the sake of this type of podcast, I think that that is the beauty of, of where people really need to just start thinking about, have curiosity towards it, start exploring it. There's lots of resources out there uh, that you can start to explore. There's even technology companies that help with random rewards and points that you can earn as employees that go into a marketplace and all sorts of fun stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, and one of the things that I've I've liked to do and I've known has been super helpful is if I can get on a cadence with meeting with you know key members, right, and having space not only to talk about the the mission, vision, where we're going, and alignment with them, but also create space for anything, any type of difficult conversations as well, right? To create mm-hmm. that space for hey, you know, is there is is there anything that uh, I've done that upset you or anything that you've upset me, and let's just have a quiet space to kind of get these things off our chest because I've noticed that there's a pattern where people kind of oh, it kind of annoys them a little bit, then they put it off and they kind of builds up from like, oh, kind of to, to the resistance, the resentment to all to completely shutting down and then disconnecting along that path. And so yeah. one thing that comes to my mind as well is, is creating that space for, hey, um, in a cadence that's somewhat regular, like, hey, this is an opportunity to say, is there anything top of mind that we can get into? Um, because I've noticed that that when there's a, when you can actually talk about those difficult things and you have that collision, if you can do it in a healthy and cathartic way, there's a there's a resolution that comes from that afterwards. You actually feel closer afterwards. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Yeah, so uh, it's part of my culture that I do in my business is I ask, where were you uncomfortable? What went wrong? 
so to me, the, the big point on this whole aspect of what you just said mm. is make it regular. Don't make mm. it a, uh, a unregular thing. If you regularly ask for people's opinions around, uh, you know, what is wrong with this situation? Uh, this marketing campaign didn't work. What do you think went wrong? Where did we do all of the wrong stuff? What, you know, it, you just dive deep into those questions on a regular basis. It then becomes a supportive culture and a supportive commentary instead of if it's random and out of the blue with people, they're going to find it offensive like it's a personal attack on them. And yeah. so if you have a whole culture where like every Friday you email out to them, what went right this week? What went wrong this week? How can we support you? Right? Like just that simple yeah. fact, you will start to hear the things of like, oh, our headsets are off, right? Yeah. Like we have crappy headsets and we're a sales team. We need, we need to have better headsets, right? You, you'll start to hear that. Whereas no, you would have never heard that before. Which is awesome because you're almost taking this like social credit and you're putting social credit into the bank, right? And you're like, hey, I'm listening. I care. Give me your feedback. I'm curious. I want to learn. Hey, what can I help you with? Where are you stuck? What, you know, what can I do better? If you, you know, what are the things that you need that I can support you with? You know, what makes you uncomfortable? I mean, every time you do that and they know that you care, you're putting that social credit in the bank. And then over time, you can kind of build this social credit of happiness with people. And, uh, and I think that's a, a beautiful thing. And it's not waiting to the very last minute. It's like going to the dentist. Right. And right before you go to the dentist, you just floss like crazy and brush your teeth like crazy, yeah. trying to make up for six months of not blossing and flushing. So, yep. so don't do that. Don't be that person. Regular intervals yep. so that you can stay healthy along the way. That's awesome. Um, with all of that being said, uh, Dr. Dave, yeah, we are um, at the limit right now. Is there anything else you'd like to let people know about before you can tell them how they could get a hold of you? <sighs> Happiness is a perspective. And it is a choice. So choose to control your own destiny. Beautiful. And uh, and Dr. Dave, if they want to find out more about you and more of what you do. Yes, Authentic with Two Eyes. If you look us up, we have a Slack community and a Discord community. And they're all focused on empowerment around well-being, productivity, and performance. So you hop into those. That's how you get access to our technology. That's how you get access to all of our programs. We have things like 30-day deep sleep challenges and master reset programs and all of the things that you need to feel engaged and empowered to figure out what works for you. Awesome. Dr. Dave, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you very much, my friend, and I will see you on the other side. Take care. Take care now. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes Quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or, if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.